so good to see you. And you. And you, Diane, too, of course. It looks like we got it. I think we do? I think we're going to be okay. Okay, great. We're going to be okay no matter what. Yeah, true, but I need to tell them now. I think we're going to be good. I yeah, I think we're good. Hi, Nicole. Are you shaking hands yet or no? You say So good to see you. Okay, wrapping up your conversation. We'll get started. Yes, it is. When you hear that, then you know you got no strife and division in the church. When nobody's getting along, then you don't hear any of this. Yep. One minute. I know we're going to see who can be the last to sit down. <laughs> Garlic bread. Garlic bread. You were a one-word man. Okay, find your seats. Thank you. We seem to be up and running. I know it's always a fight to see who's the last one to sit down, Art. Yeah, okay. So we always begin, or we usually begin, introduction and brief review. We've been going through a series in Acts. If you're visiting with us, we've been in Acts for probably a year or a year and a half now. Last week, a long passage, a lengthy passage, Acts 25 from verse 23 all the way over to 2611. We could have even gone further, but we had to break it off somewhere. That's where we stopped. And in those verses, Paul is still on trial for his faith in Caesarea before another high-level audience. This time it's King Agrippa, acting Queen Bernice, who is his sister, not his wife. Many dignitaries were gathered. Many high-ranking Jewish religious leaders were there, many of whom actually were Paul's accusers were in that audience. Scripture describes it as an, an arena or an atmosphere of pomp and pageantry. Paul was acting as his own lawyer. He was his own legal defense. And he had just begun his defense at the end of our passage last week. And the way he began, the way he usually begins his defense, or when he's addressing any crowd, he began with who he once was. He began detailing who he once was and how he once thought and what he once did in the past. And it wasn't good. You know that. If you've been with us in our study of Acts, you know Paul's beginning was not good. He has a great ending. Not a very good beginning. Always better to end well. Paul grew up in a strict, orthodox Jewish home. He became a Jewish religious zealot. This is all still by way of uh, introduction and brief review. He was just like many of his, of, his, of his accusers. They didn't call him terrorists, terrorists back then in those days, but it was essentially what Paul was, a religious terrorist. 
He terrorized the followers of Jesus. He did great destruction to the church. He even followed them from Jerusalem to wherever they went. It was hard to get away from the wrath of the Apostle Paul. He was a a monster to followers of Christ and to the church. He chased them as far as Damascus, Syria. Just a little historical note on on Damascus. If I'm correct, it's the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world is Damascus, Syria. You can check me up on that, but I believe that's true. So he was on his way to Damascus, Syria. Damascus, Damascus, of course, is still a very relevant city and still often in the news today. He was on one of his terroristic tirades when suddenly everything changed. And that's where we ended last week. And that's where we'll pick up again this week. So if my reader will come forward, it's Maria. The rest of us will stand. We'll honor God's word as she reads to us. A short passage this week compared to last week. Six verses. Wait till everybody's settled, Maria, and then you can begin reading. Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. Start reading. Start reading. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and witness. Tell my people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from, your, from both your own people and the Gentiles. Use, yeah, I mean not use. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Thank you, Maria. Good, strong reading. You may be seated. Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. I have it today in the ESV. That's the English, English Standard Version. Just because the way it read really lends itself to what I want to say. But thank you, Maria, for that reading. Today's title is God-Given Purpose. Only six verses. So let's get into the exegesis. We'll exegete the narrative. And, and you probably know exegesis simply means we're going to give the interpretation of the narrative. We're going to make some commentary. We're going to make relevant application at the end. Okay, Jamal, I will. Thank you. Acts 26, 12 starts out in this connection meaning the connection of the journey to Damascus on a terroristic tirade. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. Just what he had been telling them about his extensive travel persecuting the church, in in that connection, in that context of what, what he had been doing, he was traveling to Damascus, and he had the authority of the chief priest. Ironically, Those who were accused there in the audience accusing him had given him the authority to do that. But in his travels, he came to Damascus, Syria, and something significant 
happens at Damascus. Paul's entire life is about to change. He was still Saul at this moment, but even his name is about to change. From the persecutor Saul to the apostle Paul. Are you interested to know what happened to this guy? Anybody? Want to know? At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. They all saw it. The Damascus experience begins with a sudden light from heaven, brighter than the sun, more brilliant than the sun. It doesn't say it in today's passage, but we know from Acts chapter 9, when this originally happened, it caused him literally to go blind. Caused Paul, Saul at that time, to go literally blind. He had to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus. 26.14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a verse saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads. That wasn't in your version. That's in one of these older ones. But kick against the goads. Goads are a pronged stick that you use to prod animals to try to get them to go the direction you want them to go. We used to use them on the farm when I was in dairy farming and milking cows. Cows don't like goads. Cows are stubborn animals. Cows want to go where they want to go. And we would use goads or just these pronged sticks to try and get the cow where we want them to go. And they didn't like it. So they constantly kicked at these goads and they tried to knock them out of your hand. They did everything they could to go their own way, not to go the way you wanted them to go. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Those cows always ended up where we wanted them. So they might as well have just acquiesced and went right away. But it's much easier on them. The meaning here is this, and I'm sure you get it, in this context. Saul, why are you constantly opposing me? Why are you going your own way instead of my way for you? It's hard to do that. It's hard to resist the Lord. You pay the price. You can do it, but you pay the price. I was telling somebody today about you're bound to this, and they said, no, I have a choice. I'm like, that's right. You always have a choice. God will never straight arm or what's it, twist, twist your arm and make you go the way that he wants you to go, but it's much easier on us if we do. Have you found that out in your life yet? I have a way for you to go, God speaking. Stop trying to go your own way. Hmm. Are you listening to me? Because I think some of us right now in our lives are kicking against the goads. I feel, I believe strongly, some of us know what God wants of us but we're resisting him, and we're fighting against it, and we're kicking against the goads. And either we will yield and God will have his way, or we will just pay consequences and live a miserable life kicking against the goads. Now, interesting note, and it's something I never noticed before, and I debated if I really even wanted to get into this. 
But I do want to touch on it today with us. I'm not even sure why, but I think God has a purpose in it. I never noticed in this verse that it says, and when we all had fallen to the ground. How many of you thought only Paul was knocked to the ground? Yeah, me too. I never saw that word all, and I'm not even 100% sure why God drew my attention to it, but it intrigued me. They all were knocked to the ground, not just Paul. And I think there needs to be some explanation of what happened there, and it may be relevant in the future, maybe the not-too-distant future for us. When Jesus showed up, they all fell to the ground. What Paul and the others were experiencing here on the road to Damascus was the heavy presence and glory, majesty of the Lord. It was a light brighter than the sun. This was supernatural light. The reason he lists it was at midday is to say, the sun was out. I've seen the sun. This was more than that. The sun never knocked me to the ground and blinded me. This was a supernatural experience Paul had, not natural light, not a natural experience. It was the brilliance, it was the glory, it was the majesty of the presence of the Lord. Scripture says that God dwells in unapproachable light. It's brighter than our natural sun. Scripture also implies that the glory and the majesty of the Lord has weight. Tangible weight. You've heard the expression, the weight of his glory. You've probably heard folks pray, let the weight of your glory fall upon us. If you're a Paul Wilbur fan and, and some of his Jewish music, he has a great song about the weight of the glory of the presence of the Lord. Scripture implies there's a weight. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as the Shekinah glory. In the New Testament, it relates to the glory that's associated with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Next slide, just a little ditty for us to sort of connect that Old Testament and New Testament, which so many of us have trouble doing. Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New Testament. Shekinah glory of the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. So listen, at times when God grants humans an experience of his weighty presence and glory and majesty, such as Paul's testimony on the road to Damascus, it can drop us to the ground under the weight. They all fell. We have an illustration from our recent, or Bible reading, our recent Bible reading in, in 1 Kings chapter 8. When the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister. They couldn't stand up under the weight of the Lord. 
it drove them to the ground before that weighty presence, glory, majesty. They could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So, folks, the glory and the presence of the Lord can sometimes knock you off your feet. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. When God truly shows up, we may just go down under the weight of his glory and his presence and his majesty. No one can stand before the Lord. I think that's enough for now. I'm sure you're drawing all kinds of conclusions in your minds. Where is he going with this? What's he talking about? So let me just close out with this thought on this topic. If and when that happens, to some of you it has already happened, but if and when that happens, please don't be afraid of that experience. When God does that, it's for a reason. God doesn't do anything just to do it. God doesn't have to be sensational to impress us. He's impressed with himself. When he does something, he does it for a reason, and it's always for our good and his glory. So if that experience happens to you, happens to us, God breaks out in our midst. Don't be afraid of it. One of the reasons he does this, when he does this, is to get our attention. We're so busy we're so thinking of so many other things. Right now, you're trying to listen to me, and all kinds of thoughts are coming into your head of stuff you got to deal with and stuff you got to think about. It's hard even to focus. When God really wants to get your attention, and it has happened to me. I wasn't going to let that cat out of the bag. It has happened to me. When God really wants to get your attention, he just comes in in his presence, and he knocks you to the ground, and you don't have any other choice but to pay attention to him and what he has to say. Like this time with Paul. There was no way God was going to get through to Paul without some kind of supernatural, powerful experience. Paul's mind was set. His conscience was seared. He thought he was serving the Lord in what he was doing. And God had to stop that path and get him on another path. So he simply knocked him to the ground. He said, you're going to be blind until you're willing to listen to me. Ouch, but yay, right? Oh, that God would work in some of our loved ones' lives like that. Amen? This is, this is by no means the primary point of today's message. I just threw it in there because it came up in the text and it gave me opportunity to mention it. So let's move on. Paul goes on to saying, I also heard a voice. Not just the bright light, not just knocked to the ground. He heard a voice saying, and the Lord said something to him. And once he had Paul's attention, then Jesus could speak to him. Paul was in a position to hear. Paul was in a position to listen. 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're wasting your time fighting against me, fighting against my people, fighting against my church. I'm going to show you a better way to live. You are about to go from persecuting me to promoting me. You are about to go from one of my worst enemies to one of my chosen servants. And I said, Paul speaking, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. Get up and face me like a man. Now that you know how powerful I am, get up and face me like a man. For I have appealed to you, appeared to you for this purpose. Keep that in mind. It's our application. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen and the things in which I will appear to you. There is so much we could say here, but I want to try and stick to the theme of of the message. We could talk all about the mission that Paul, Paul received and what that mission is, but And that is good, but we've talked about the mission before. I want to stay on this focus of the word purpose for Paul's life. God-given purpose for Paul's life. Paul was not in the midst of God's given purpose. God's moving him into the center of his God-given purpose. Paul was not only converted in this moment, but God revealed and explained to him his new purpose in life, his God-given purpose. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen and to those in which I will appear to you or you will see. That which you have just seen and heard, you'll be a witness to that. And he is right now. He's telling King Agrippa and Bernice. Right? So you're going to be a witness to those things you've seen and you're going to be a witness to the things that you see and hear along the way, along the journey in your days of serving me on earth. I want to talk, give a word about God's will, God's plans, God's purposes, the purposes of God for our lives. They are fluid. You don't get it all in one moment. You couldn't. You couldn't possibly handle that. Jesus told his disciples, I got so much I want to tell you, but you're not able to handle it right now. It has to be revealed piecemeal. God's will, God's plans, God's purposes, they have to come to us piecemeal. They can't be one major download. Our brains would explode. There are things that you have already heard from the Lord, and you're walking in them. You already know some of his will, his plans, his purposes for you, and you're walking in them. And that's exciting. But there are many things that he is yet to tell you. There are many things that he has yet to reveal to you about his plans, his will, his plans, his purposes for your life, for my life, for our lives. That keeps life exciting. I hope you get that. I don't see much excitement on your faces out there right now, but I hope you get that. That's what keeps you coming back. That's what keeps you telling others. It's so exciting. It's an exciting way to live life. I lived for many years not knowing the Lord. That was not exciting. I thought it was. Now I've lived many years knowing the Lord. That's exciting. I wouldn't go back there for all the money in the world. And I'm not just blowing smoke. You could not buy me to go back to the life I knew before I knew him. 
Every day, Lamentations 3.23, your mercies are new every morning. You get up every day, you got a new start. You're seeking him for his will, his plan, his purposes. You know some of it, but you don't know all of it. There's more that's going to be revealed every day, moment by moment maybe. Driving down the, the road and all of a sudden, boop, God downloads revelation. You're like, wow. Have you experienced that? What a way to live. Or you're just going about cutting your own way, kicking against the goads, wondering why life's so tough, or wondering why this is all there is to life, even though you know the Lord. There are many believers who are not living exciting lives. They're just waiting till they die or the Lord comes back, and they hope they get through. We've said so many times in here, we're not saved to survive. Man, we're saved to thrive. More than conquerors. More than overcomers. Keeps life exciting. That's the way Jesus lived. Day by day, man, moment by moment. What is it you have for me, Lord? Show me. Says Jesus never, now this is really lofty. We're trying to get there. Will we ever? Says Jesus, Jesus said, I never say anything the Father doesn't tell me to say. I never do anything he doesn't show me to do. How would you like to live in that relationship with your Father? Well, Jesus made the provision that we can. I love the book by A.W. Tozer. Tozer. God tells the man who cares. And in that book, he says, we can have as much of God as we want. God will never stop us. We stop ourselves. That's enough for right now, Lord. I, there's some other stuff I want to do here. Thank God he is so merciful, so patient, so long-suffering with us. Being in the center of God's will, his plans, his purposes for your life is the most exciting way to, to live life Bar none. Delivering you here. Now, Jesus goes into the content of the mission, and I just want to very briefly mention that. This was the word to Paul about his mission. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending to you. And I want you to see the relevance of this in a moment. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Whew, that's a lot of stuff. There's so much we could say. But I just want to mention and point out something relevant. Part of the word of the Lord to Paul and his mission was, I'm going to be delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. That's happening right now. These Jews have been trying to kill him for five chapters and they can't. Why? Because God told Paul, I'm going to deliver you from these accusers as long as you're working for me or in my plan or in my purpose. In a sense, it ain't easy, but you don't have to worry about them. That's why Paul could be so bold and so confident. What can mere humans do to me? I got the word of the Lord of what he's going to do. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. So in this word... On Paul's God-given purpose, there is a promise of deliverance from the very Jews who are demanding his life currently and from the Gentiles who will not receive his message. And we've seen that happen throughout the book of Acts too. How comforting, how confidence-building 
is that? Steve, I'm calling you to this, and it might not be easy, but nothing can harm you along the way. What? And that's what he says. No weapon formed against you will harm you. Not when you're in the center of his will. Does it mean, oh, life, I'm just going to tiptoe through life? No, of course not. You know better than that. In this world, we have trial and tribulations, but you have these promises in the midst of it. They're not going to be able to take your life, Paul. You are going to get to Rome, and I got further ministry for you at Rome. And Paul was given the general content of his God-given purpose. It's very similar to Jesus, the mission for Jesus' life and our lives. To open their eyes, unbelievers, so that they'll turn from darkness to light. So that they'll turn from the power of Satan to God. So that they'll receive the forgiveness of their sins, which is bondage. And a place in the family of God. Become a son and daughter of God. It can't get any better than that. It's the way it was originally intended in the garden. Paul was promised he would have good success in his mission, in his God-given purpose. The word and the promise was settled. We've said this before. What wasn't settled was the when and the how. That remained to be worked out. The word God has given you, I'm saying it again, I know, repeating myself, but the word God has given you, the promise God has given you is settled. The only thing that's not settled are the details, the when and the how. They need to be worked out. So Paul was telling this pomp and circumstance crowd, this crowd steeped in pageantry and caught up in their own selves. He was telling them how his life began to change in this experience on the road to Damascus. How he had an experience with Jesus, whom the Jews are saying is a dead man. And Paul's saying, no, he's not. He's alive. I know him. And, you know, you can say that to people who don't believe in Jesus He's dead. He lived back then. He said, well, that's interesting. I just spent time with him this morning. I know him. He spoke to me. They're going to think you're whacked, but that's okay. We are kind of whacked. He was also telling them how he had received a God-given purpose for his life. And that purpose is the very thing which has him in this hot water right now with these religious Jews. They don't like Paul. They don't like Paul's God. They don't like Paul's God-given purpose one bit. They want him dead. That's why he's on trial to begin with. We'll end the exegesis here. We'll pick it up again next week, Lord willing, and we'll move into application. And what we want to focus on in application is the word purpose, specifically God-given purpose specifically for you. Not just Paul. Not just pastors and missionaries. For you. And for me, excuse me. Here's today's principle. God has a life purpose for you. Now, sometimes people are like, oh, man, I'm already X amount of years old. I probably missed. No, that's why I wanted you to know God's purpose is fluid. 
it wasn't just all back there. If you're alive and you're breathing, I don't care how many years we have in front of us, God has a plan, a will, a plan, and a purpose for us. One of the most untapped resources for Christians are retirement homes where older saints think they've accomplished it and they're done. What a resource for prayer. Man, what a mighty army we're overlooking as they waste away their sunset years. But God has a will, a plan, and a purpose for them. I've thought about that many times. I just don't know how to harness that. I don't know how to get into those homes and harness that praying army. If you have any thoughts, I and the elder board will be interested to hear it. It's an untapped resource base for the Christian church. We had Gladys. Remember Gladys? Gladys thought it was her mission to pray for 40 hours a week, just as somebody else would work. And she would come here and go into the prayer room upstairs, and she would pray for 40 hours. And she would pray for you and me and us and Manu's house in Columbia. And then she died in 2019. And she hasn't been replaced. And we are moving on, but we're diminished. We're diminished because we don't have that prayer covering. God has a life purpose for you, and don't worry about what went before. We can always talk about that. We'll start right now. Let's worry about what's in front. That's what you still have. You don't have that anymore, but you have this. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been up until now, no matter what you have done, all that's already been calculated by God into his planning. He'll adjust as he needs to. When you kick against the goads and get off the plan, he'll adjust. And it'll get you back on the plan. It's fluid. It's not static. Do I have that right? Does static mean stable? It's fluid. God's will is fluid, not static. But also, not just a general plan. Like the mission of Jesus, the will of God for Jesus, the purpose, that's all of ours in a sense. We need to be out there telling unbelievers, opening eyes, setting the captives free. We're all called to that. But within that context... There's a very specific, particular plan for you in the mission. Man, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know. It's a good place for a hearty amen. amen. God put a lot of thought into drawing up a plan and a purpose for your life. So I want to close today in the way we've closed the last, this will be the fourth sermon now that I've spoken, that I've preached. We're going to close in the same way. With We're just going to sit back and let the powerful word of God speak to us. I'm going to make very little commentary. I want the word of God to speak to us on this matter of God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a will for your life. And it's never too late to get on it. We'll start with the Old Testament. We'll come through to the New Testament. Because of the volume of scriptures that there are on this topic, I had to pick and choose, and there's some really good ones that I left out. I'll just tell you one right off the bat. It's Psalm 37, 23. The very steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Let's let the word of God speak. And one, one criticism I've heard of this method is I go through the verses too fast. So please forgive me today if I read the verse and then pause to let you think about it, then move into the next verse. But I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power 
and to spread my fame throughout the earth. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called called according to his purpose for them. That's a classic, isn't it? Romans 8.28. I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Shadow boxing there would mean like running through life aimlessly, without any plan, without any purpose. And the opposite is living very purposefully, very intentionally. Last week, I am making comment on this verse. Last week when we were talking about confidence, I remember saying to you, I love hanging with confident people. I want to be around people who are confident. Confident oozes out of them. Confident is contagious. This week I want to say, I love running with folks who run with a purpose. I love being around people who have a purpose and aren't just going through life aimlessly, tossed to and fro. They know who they are. They know what they're to do, and they're about doing it. I want to be with them. Now we're going to move from the word purpose to the, to the word plan. Oh, Lord, my God. You have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. For relevance sake, I want to read it again and we insert the word me instead of us. O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for me. Your plans for me are too numerous to list. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Another classic, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans you have for me, Lord, There are plans for good and not for disaster, to give me a future and a hope. Only I can tell you the future, the Lord speaking. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. Why are you kicking against the goads? Probably a wise thing to get on to God's plan for your life, right? Amen there? Rather than your own. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you. That specific, particular will, plan, purpose that he has for you, that he has for nobody else. 
that might be similar, but it's for you. God has sat down and thought out a plan, drawn up a plan, a purpose, a will for you that is just totally oriented to you. Pauline, Richard, Kayla, Steve, I can name everybody in here. He has a plan for you, and he's thinking of you when he drew up the plan. He's not thinking of Jamie when he drew up Steve's plan. And he's not thinking of Joel when he drew up Dan's plan. The Lord is focused on you when he draws up your plan. This is a third classic verse. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. God's plans, purposes here are referred to as his will for us. So if you are here, there's so many we could add, but if you are here and you're uncertain, where do I even begin? How do I even start discerning God's plan for my life? Will you see me at some time and we'll talk about that? I would love to talk to you about that. If you're uncertain how to even get started, this is new to you and you're like... How do I even get started? Oh, I would love to talk to you. You stand with me. Josh, you'll come forward. Sonny, bring the band up, whatever you got for us. Wait till people are settled down and then uh, pray. And Ron, will you make sure the monitors are on so we can hear Josh pray, please? Hey, one other thing I just thought of to say. Could I still have your attention? So we said a few times how much thought God has put into designing a plan for, with us in mind, right? Well, I think here's the question. How much thought have we put into making sure we're living on that plan? Father. We thank you for your love, Father. We thank you for being a part of our life um, every day from the time we wake up until the time we go to sleep, Father. We ask that you watch over us, Father. Guide us. Allow us to have uh, open ears and open eyes to see your will for our lives, Father. We as humans tend to get in our own way, Lord, and we ask that you just open up those doors, Father. Allow us to get out of our own minds, Father, and see what you have planned for us. Give us the courage to follow those plans, Father. We know that your way may not be easy and may not be um, simplistic to us, Father, but we know that with your help and your guidance, Father, we can do anything through you and your Son, Father. We ask that you allow us to perform your will in our lives, Father. Just guide us, Father. We know that your will is going to happen either way, Father. So why not get on board and follow you and allow it to go the easiest possible way, Father? We also know that your will will come to um, fruitation, Father, whether we want it to or not. And I know your will is to bring your son back, Father, and have all of us together with you on a new earth, Lord. And us going our own ways, Father, just kind of prolong that. But yet there's a lot of us, Father, if not all of us, that want that to happen sooner rather than later, Lord. So help us to get out of our own way, Father. Help us to see your way, your will, 
and to perform your will and to spread your word on earth, Father. So that way your son can come back sooner, Father. We can all be a lot healthier and praise you, Father, and be with you and your son, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.